Welcome to Translating Aging, a podcast about how the science of human longevity is transforming the way we treat disease. In each episode, we bring you conversations with the researchers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders who are working at the vanguard of the field. Translating Aging is produced by BioAge Labs, a clinical stage biotechnology company developing therapies to extend healthy lifespan by targeting the molecular causes of aging. I'm Chris Patil, VP of Media at BioAge. This is a special episode. Translating Aging is one year old today. It's been a great year, and we've been so humbled by the positive reception from our audience. So before getting into today's episode, I wanted to say thank you to the stellar thinkers who have joined us as guests and to our loyal and enthusiastic listeners. Most of our guests from our first year are from the United States, but it's a big world out there. And as we embark on year two, we'd like our show to better reflect that. This is one reason why for the next few episodes, we'll focus on people and companies who operate outside the U.S., in Europe, and in the case of our guest today, Asia. Joining us is Alex Shabarankov, CEO and founder of Insilico Medicine, which has offices in New York and Hong Kong. Insilico is a biotech company that aims to accelerate drug discovery and drug development by continuously inventing and deploying new artificial intelligence technologies. Alex is also an energetic advocate for longevity biotech. He's become a familiar face at major conferences in the field. He's also a prolific writer on the topic in social media, in his column at Forbes, and is the author of the 2013 book, The Ageless Generation, How Advances in Biomedicine Will Transform the Global Economy. At BioAge, we think of Alex as a good friend. Alex, thanks very much for being here. Really excited for the conversation. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. In a bit, we'll talk at length about the work you're doing at Insilico, but this is a show about aging, so I want to contextualize the conversation around that idea. Longevity is obviously a great passion of yours, so I wanted to start by asking you, how did you become attracted to the field? I've been interested in aging since I was a child. It always fascinated me how we grow, mature, reach our peak, and then decline and die. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you do, you lose everything. Then with time, I realized that it's not only the most uh, egoistic endeavor where you are trying to extend your own life, but it's also the most altruistic endeavor because if you manage to generate just one quality adjusted life here for everybody on the planet using any intervention, you generated 8 billion quality adjusted life years. That's pretty dramatic. No physician would be able to uh, generate so many life years during their career. So I decided to switch from IT to biotechnology around 2004 and never looked back. So the rest of my life is dedicated to aging research. Were those thoughts at the top of your mind when you founded Insilico? Maybe you could weave that answer in as you tell us the origin story of the company. Sure. We started the company around the time of the deep learning revolution. So in 2013, deep learning systems started outperforming humans in voice recognition, text recognition, image recognition, and many other tasks. I was very well equipped to start a company in that area. So at that time, we were at Hopkins, uh, at the Emerging Technology Centers in Baltimore, and um, I already had a PhD in uh, biophysics and my master's in biotechnology. And my original work was in GPU computing, so high-performance computing. All the stars aligned. We started realizing that if you train deep neural networks on longitudinal data, predominantly gene expression, protein expression data, so something that changes in time, they start generalizing and finding patterns that are not obvious to classical statistical methods. And then those deep neural networks can be used to identify actionable targets 
that are important in aging and disease at the same time. And that's when we started the company. So we realized that we can now generate those deep biomarkers of human aging that we can use for target discovery. We started collaborating with pharmaceutical companies right from the get-go, looking at how we can improve their target discovery efforts in chronic diseases, but also in cancer, because those systems became pretty general and we became a disease agnostic. Then we just realized that we can discover targets for the others. We actually did a pretty cool target discovery exercise with a company called Biotime, finding new targets for embryonic to fetal transition and basically regulating the stemness of the cell. And they spun out a company called Ajax listed and uh, made a lot of money. So we thought that, wow, we participated in that, but we really want to develop a better business model. And we also developed our own chemistry expertise. So now we could prosecute targets with our own chemistry. And that's how the company kind of started. We started thinking about end-to-end -end discovery and adopted the MMA fighting style where we uh, try to be good in chemistry and biology at the same time. So that's how we got started and turned out it paid off. You know, back then investors didn't want to give us money because they were thinking that we are going after too many projects. But then when they all pieced together and it became a major competitive advantage and provided barriers to entry, we managed to start getting much more attention from investors, from pharma, from partners, and of course, employees who like to work on very difficult projects. That's fantastic. So it sounds like Intilico was originally focused on providing AI solutions to other pharma companies to streamline their R&D. But recently, you've started to focus on accruing a portfolio of preclinical candidates all on your own. Before we talk about what you've discovered, I just want to give our listeners a bit more information about your tech stack, because I think it's really fascinating. I think they'd like to hear about it. Your AI suite is split into multiple platforms that each solve a different problem. There's target ID, generation of novel molecules, and then design and, and prediction of clinical trials. Can you just tell us a little bit more about this, maybe starting with target discovery and touch on maybe the source data that you use and a little bit about how the methods work, just to give us an impression of what's going on. So we go end to end. We do target discovery, so we zoom into the mechanism of disease and then uh, crystallize the targets that are important in the disease in as many patients uh, as possible within a specific patient subpopulation. And we do it using many, many different approaches that are integrated into a platform called Pandaomics. It's currently integrating over 60 philosophies for target discovery because there is no perfect one solution for identifying the target for a specific disease. There are many, many philosophies and you need to go and uh, fail many, many times before you realize which approach works for which disease, which case. And that is why we collaborated so much with a lot of pharmaceutical companies to actually get that knowledge, get those philosophies in and encode them in our AI. There we use multiple data types. We use text. We use approximately $2 trillion worth of data. And I can claim that because we track government grants in the US, Canada, Australia, Europe, and Asia. And then we look at scientific outputs from those grants. So it's a lot of text data, but we, of course, incorporate a lot of omics data, predominantly gene expression, protein expression, methylation data coming from all kinds of repositories, including our own research. And we also incorporate a lot of chemistry data. So we currently have billions and billions of chemical structures. 
with either experimental properties or very precisely predicted properties for the molecule. That is in pandaomics. In 2014, one technology came to be uh, emerged. It's called generative adversarial networks. It's a way to imagine new things using AI. You probably remember deep fakes, mm-hmm. imagine human faces for people that do not exist. So we started using this technology in both data generation for biology, but also in chemistry. And the first papers in that area for small molecule generation were mine. So we started generating novel molecular structures with the desired properties using those deep fakes and managed to achieve pretty spectacular results originally theoretically, but uh, in 2017 started validating and synthesizing and testing our own molecules and they started working. So that's where we started getting investments. This chemistry platform started performing pretty amazing feats. We managed to generate some really promising chemistry and we decided to actually productize it as a software and as a platform for others to use. So we've generated many, many of those generative deep learning models for generation of novel chemistry. We combine them kind of in a Lego module where generative systems are working together with a major reinforcement learning system and turn it into a product called Chemistry42. And now nine out of the top 30 pharmaceutical companies are using that platform for their own generation. And we have a system called Inclinico, which predicts the outcomes of clinical trials. That's the kind of grandest challenge at Encilico that we're working on. We're working on that platform for six years, and we are planning to release it end of this year. So it predicts the outcomes of phase two to phase three transitions. That's when you test the efficacy of a drug in a clinical trial. We can predict only about 15 to 20% of the trials. So single molecule, single agent trial, we cannot do combos, small molecule, therapeutic, targeted and only in very specific disease areas. But if the stars align and we can predict about 100 trials a year, we do it very, very well. We've been doing retrospective validation, quasi-prospective validation, where you train up until 2015 and test on everything that came after 2015. And we also do prospective validation, so making predictions, publishing them, and then looking at how we did in a few years from now when the readouts are out. So. Externally, we cater with those platforms to three different departments within big pharmaceutical companies. They very rarely work together, but internally we use them as just one system, one platform in a seamless mode. So we can go from discovery all the way into clinic very quickly. And we've just demonstrated that we can do that by discovering a novel target, generating small molecules and taking them all the way into phase one clinical trials passing also phase zero clinical trials in humans in record time in a chronic disease with a target that has dual purpose, which is implicated on aging and fibrosis. That's fantastic. I'm really struck by both the potential of the methods that you're using and the ambition of their scope. There was one other thing that I read about recently online and I wanted to ask you about, what's this say here about a robotic lab and how does that fit into the AI best methods that you're using at Insilico? Once we realized that our target discovery platform uh, is churning out really promising targets that can be validated preclinically and hopefully soon will be validated in human clinical trials, we realized that we can use some incremental data that could be generated using a robotic system. So now we're building one of the most advanced labs in the world that is focused on data generation 
and also personalized medicine that can take in uh, specific biological samples. I cannot talk about them yet, but I can talk about what we do with them. Please. So we have 100% robotics automated platform that takes in a biological sample, does very deep phenotyping, so very high resolution imaging. Then it sends those samples onto a workflow where we have whole genome sequencing, we have RNA-seq, we have methylation data, and several other data types are acquired. AI makes decisions on which compounds to select for testing on those biological samples. We then incubate those biological samples with a range of promising compounds from in silico and also from other companies and from libraries. And then we measure the same data types again. So deep phenotyping, methylation, transcriptomics, and several other data types, and collect that information to see if the predictions that were made by AI were confirmed with experiments, but also provide additional training data for uh, target discovery and target validation. Our first lab is going to be in Suzhou. It's massive. We have many completely automated islands in the lab. And then between those islands, we have those small R2-D2s with one and two hands <laughs> that perform human tasks. So it's a completely humanless lab. There are no humans in there. This might be a good moment to step back and ask a philosophical question. Why are these AI-based and now robotics-based approaches so important now to pharma generally? Well, because there are many challenges with human-generated data. First of all, there is experimental bias. So not every experiment performed with humans is the same. Machines do it very consistently. They do not miss a well when pipetting or you know, forget to add some reagents, and they do not fake the data. You also have very high throughput, so they can do it much faster than humans can. And you can configure them to perform many tasks that humans just can't in conditions that humans can't. So we completely roboticized the workflow, and we're not the only ones. There are other companies that are doing robotics data generation. However, I think we are the only one or one of the very few that managed to first validate the AI and show that it can work with real-world data. And then we show incremental value of robotics generation data, data processing using the same systems. So our AI that is already trained is now running a robot. And that is why it took a while to get to robotics. But for us, robotics is just another step to incrementally improve what we already have. As a matter of fact, there is plenty of data available in the world that AI can use to learn and to produce very good targets. Thanks very much for breaking that down. It sounds like, if I can just oversimplify a little bit, it sounds like the data that are generated by these AI-based and robotics approaches are both more trustworthy at some level than human-generated data, and they can be generated much more rapidly, which facilitates the process of target identification and drug discovery. Are there ways in which these methods are especially important for companies that are aiming at the longevity space? Yes, absolutely. And BioAge is one of the leaders in the space showcasing that it can identify targets using longitudinal data that is available from biobanks and, of course, internally generated data to identify targets for drugs that could be repurposed from diseases into aging and other age-associated diseases. You can see multiple companies in the field that are using longitudinal multi-omics data analysis and deep learning to come up with new possible solutions for aging and age-associated diseases. 
in silico is using those approaches to identify dual purpose targets or multi-purpose targets that are implicated in the fundamental processes associated with aging and are driving aging and also in age-associated diseases. Those ways to identify those targets have multiple benefits because if your outcome measure in a clinical trial is survival, and if you are benefiting the patient in addition to suppressing some target that is important on the disease, but also extending lifespan because you are perturbing some process that is very closely associated or perhaps even driving aging, you're providing the patient with dual benefit. And that's the idea. And I think that we got this idea around the same time with Kristen Fortney, the founder of BioAge, and we just took different alternative routes. So we decided to go after this challenge with our own chemistry. So that allows us to prosecute some targets that do not have existing molecules. And uh, Kristen decided to in-license and go very quickly into the clinic. So right now, the entire industry is, of course, watching BioH. So guys, we're rooting for you. Thank you. The phase two trials that are reading out this year and next year for the uh, drugs that were repurposed into age-associated conditions. So one way of thinking about this simply and taking kind of AI into real world. So think about yourself as AI. You can train yourself to recognize pictures of people and predict their age pretty accurately. So you would be able to do probably like plus minus four years, five years from pictures. If somebody tells you that, look, some diseases make you look older. And some genetic diseases, like, for example, Hutchinson-Gilford progeria, are genetically predefined, predetermined, and uh, they have a very specific phenotype. So you have wrinkly skin, etc. So if you see a person who is substantially younger chronologically than their predicted age, so you see somebody who looks older and fits this description that you have, you would be able to say, oh, that's Hutchinson-Gilford from just one example. So you actually have never seen a person like that, but you have this information and you would be able to very quickly identify that as a disease. So by training on age, you can generalize into many, many conditions, many, many states of the human being and animal. So we train deep neural networks to predict age first and then retrain them on diseases or other conditions on pretty much any data type that is changing in time. And then you can find the features that are important in both. And that's how you can find some dual purpose and multi-purpose targets. Then of course you need to look at, uh, you know, where this target fits in the biological context. Uh, you need to look at how toxic it is, how druggable it is, et cetera. So there are many, many steps that you need to take in order to identify those promising targets and refine them. But one of the first steps could be training on age and retraining on disease. And age is a universal feature that unites all of us. So all of us have age. Not everybody has Alzheimer's, not everybody has diabetes. So people are very different. And those diseases are very different, but everybody has age. So by training on age, you are training on the most important feature that connects all of us. 
and it even connects us with animals. So animals also have age. And you can now train deep neural networks that can predict uh, age in humans and animals at the same time. Your answers to the last few questions have really given us a sense not only of how Insilico fits into pharma more broadly, but into how the approaches you're using and the philosophies you're applying enable your company to fit into the longevity biotech world. In the time that we have remaining, I just want to open the floor for you. And I'd just love to hear what's next for Insilico over the next few years. What are you the most excited about? What are the big milestones you're looking forward to? What can we look forward to reading about? We have reorganized the company pretty dramatically in the past year. So we realized that in order for us to be a true AI company, we need to advance our AI capabilities all the time and go into transformer neural networks, go into additional just AI theory that is required for us in order to bridge biology, chemistry, and clinical development using just very few global models. To do that, we had to transform into dual CEO company. So I have a co-CEO, Dr. Ren Fang, who has many years of experience in big pharma and also ran a contract research organization before. So he is responsible currently predominantly for preclinical and clinical development. So we have 31 internal programs. One is in phase one, several others are about to enter clinical trials. We want to, of course, advance this pipeline. You will hear a lot of news around those programs that are going through clinical trials and are entering different stages of preclinical clinical development, hopefully positive. But what I am now focused on, I'm focused on robotics, AI innovation, and global expansion. So Insilico is a truly global company. We currently have R&D resources in nine countries or regions. So we span the entire globe. Uh, we're in every time zone. So right now I'm calling from quarantine in Shanghai in China. That's why the connection might be a little bit disturbing from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> and we are uh, going to expand further. So we're expanding into the Middle East to be able to take advantage of the resources there and also just to be in a very geographically neutral place. We're expanding into Canada. Uh, we're setting up an office in Montreal to take advantage of the top talent in artificial intelligence and develop better software systems. And we are expanding beyond biology. So it looks like some of our algorithms can be used for other types of chemistry, not only drug discovery. So you know that we have a pretty substantial deal in agriculture with a company called Syngenta, where we've already progressed quite a bit and we're developing new solutions for sustainable agriculture. So we want to go even beyond that and go into other materials, gases, combustibles to make human life better using AI, but also make our AI acquire new capabilities and learn new things beyond traditional drug discovery model. So that's the next big thing for us. And we want to advance in both AI and drug discovery. There is an intimate link between both. The data from drug discovery programs is feeding into AI, and AI is making the drug discovery process better. So now we have two heads. We're like the two-headed dragon, yin-yang of AI and drug discovery. So you'll have news from both sides. 
Well, I think I speak for everyone at BioAge when I say we are all wishing you the best of luck with those endeavors. Alex Shavaronkov, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to maybe even collaborating with BioAge soon because you guys are a true leader in several domains. Thank you, and I'm sure we would relish that opportunity. Many thanks as well to our listeners and subscribers. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes of Translating Aging, you can contact us by email at podcast at bioagelabs.com, on Twitter at bioagepodcast, or via our LinkedIn page. You can also follow our sponsor, BioAge Labs, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.